This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at Kevin Couchman and at Brad Kelly. artofdarkpod.com. Brad, how are you? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, it's a little weird to record an episode of Art of Darkness when it's light out. So Right. We typically do Art of Darkness in the dark. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but today we're going a little early. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, yeah. yeah, we had daylight savings. So, you know, we, uh, we cut an hour off the beginning of the day and put it in the end and we pretend the day is longer. So. Yeah, one of our missions through this podcast is the eradication of daylight savings time. <laughs> I don't know how they connect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, so who, who is our subject today, uh, Brad? You're going to lead, lead us for about an hour, maybe yeah. a little more about, yeah. uh, about a fella. Yeah, so his, uh, his name is David Kimbrough Jr., better known as Junior Kimbrough. And uh, classic question, Kevin, what do you know about Junior Kimbrough? Very little. Good. Uh, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say. I have listened to just a tiny bit of the music because uh, you mentioned the name and I knew we were going to do this episode. But uh, as is the... Uh, sort of the rule for this show the idea is one host kind of walks the other through and the idea is the other host doesn't really dig in too much beforehand so I'm coming in mm -hmm. pretty dark um, pretty cold good good yeah well uh, I think it'll be I think it's going to be interesting I mean I guess the one thing we'll kind of we'll obviously dig into into the man and, and his work a little bit and what he meant and uh, what what things were like for him um one thing, you know, you got to put him in the context and we'll get into this more, but I guess almost a follow-up to the question I just asked you is, Kevin, what do you know about the blues? Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to do to me? <laughs> I'm not asking for like a graduate level right. thesis, but like, I, I guess, um, let yeah. me refine that. Did I, you ever have like a blues phase where you got real into blues music? I, I have, I appreciate the blues. I have a Muddy Waters record on mm, vinyl, stuff. Uh, kind of the bare minimum. I really enjoy um, Lightning Hopkins. Yeah. I had a pretty serious Lightning Hopkins uh, phase, but I would not say I am a hardcore aficionado. I don't go out of my way to hunt down the blues. Uh, sure. what, I, what I've heard is that, of course, if you, if you have to be told, you, you'll never know. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's some I, truth to that. I yeah. have certainly had the blues. Yeah, I have been responsible for giving the blues yeah. to uh, to more than a few people, I'm sure. So that's what I know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, as an American, if you you know, all of our music sort of is sort of well, the blues is derivative of older forms, but all of our music is derivative of the blues. You know, so it all kind of comes from it in some way or another you know all of our favorite rock bands you know 
hip hop, even even though it's probably even further removed from from the blues, is also is also definitely influenced. So um, you don't get rock and roll without the blues. Definitely not. And you don't it get anywhere to come from yeah. any mod, really any modern pop music without no, rock and without roll. rock and roll. Exactly. So. so it's deep in the DNA, and and we'll see a little bit that that DNA is is far deeper than you even realize. So we're, we'll get to that too. Um, so, so on this note of the blues, we got Junior Kimbrough, born in 1930, Holly Springs, Mississippi. And the reason that I think I ended up getting into him is I had a big blues phase. John Lee Hooker in particular was like my man. I had a job when I was 19 or 20 listening to NPR on the day that John Lee Hooker died. And all they did was play John Lee Hooker music all day. And my all job right. was driving around. So it was like, I had like a, I had like a moment that day. Whoa. And, uh, okay. And I'd known who, who he was from the Blues Brothers movie. He has like a scene in there. So anyway, so that was like my thing to the blues. And then after that, I kind of got this feeling of like this archetypal image that somewhere out in the middle of the dusty roads down south, there must be some blues genius that nobody's ever heard of, right? Mm. The guy mm. that's out there who's the virtuoso, the master, a mastermind, but never really broke out, right? Never wasn't on TV, didn't go on, you know, Ed Sullivan, didn't have any of that, but was like the real thing, right? Because you can listen to like a lot of new blues where it's very talented musicians, but like it's overproduced. It's kind of, it's like, it's a little annoying almost. It, it's meant to sound a little lo-fi and, mm -hmm. and kind of off and right. Maybe the even the tuning shouldn't even be perfect, and yeah. it's just that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I dig so, it. So when I stumbled across Junior Kimbrough, it was oh, this is him. This is the guy. This is the guy nobody knows about. Being my hipster self, nobody knows who he is. Nobody knows anything about him. All right, he's really a freaking genius. So this is that guy. All right. Okay. So he's okay. Born in, cool. He's born in nineteen thirty in Holly Springs, Mississippi. Um. He never even left Mississippi. Well, Holly Springs is quite close to Memphis, Tennessee. So he never really left Memphis, northern Mississippi until he was well into his 40s, right? So, uh, so mm -hmm. um, trying to think about the best way to, to talk about where he fits into this. Are you familiar with Alan Lomax? Is that a name I, that rings I'm not. No. Okay, so Alan Lomax, he was this dude throughout the 20th century. He um, he had a job as basically like an archivist. Um, okay, he's an American ethnologist technically. Okay, cool. He was big known for doing field recordings of folk musicians all around the United States. So he would go out to like the middle of nowhere and find like, well, what do these people like play for each other? You know, like I'm Friday night down at the yeah. Hoot Nanny. Right. Yeah. What is, yeah. What's this kind of music? What is it? Right. And he was a guy who really pulled on a lot of the threads of like American bluegrass. Um, blues music in particular, but all kinds of, you know, gospel music in various parts of the country. You know, he went up into parts of Michigan and found like old Irish folk music that was being played, all this really cool mm. stuff. So um, he was a guy who first kind of brushed against what was going on in Holly Springs. He recorded a guy named R.L. Burnside, who was very closely associated with Junior Kimbrough. And we'll actually circle back around to R.L. Burnside. So um, Junior Kimbrough, 1930. He's born, learns to play guitar by basically borrowing his father's guitar when his dad's out at work. His dad's mm. like a barber and he's living, sure. 
And to give you a full picture of this, what Holly Springs is like. Holly Springs is basically the deep south, but it's not quite the south that we think of. Because it's so hilly and the terrain is so um, unfriendly to agriculture, it's not the plantation south. There were never plantations there. There was never a big presence of, of you know, slave, slave owning in that particular region. So it's long been <clears throat> predominantly black area, you know, black sharecroppers and that sort of thing. So it has a slightly different history than what we think of as the South, you know, kind of developed somewhat on its own. Um, this is a small town though, outside oh, yeah. of Memphis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I think to this day, it's 20,000 people, maybe. Gotcha. It's never, it was never big. Always been, always been tiny. Um, so... I guess may you know now is probably actually time to listen to a first track just All to right. get us just to get us going. So, so we're going to listen to five or six tracks through the course of this yeah. episode because what are you going to do? It's uh, we're going to talk <laughs> about music uh, through the entire episode. I, I don't think so. Let's, ha- no. let's have a listen. Yeah, what, are gonna, what are we what are we going to listen to here? Which is uh, uh, what's hit, it called? Uh, you better run. You better run, Junior yeah. Kimbrough. Kimbrough. Here we go. All right. I'm going to put a little uh, upvote on that. Okay. It's pretty, pretty sweet. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, you better run. I mean, the yeah. first thing that came to my mind was uh, uh, Hendrix for some reason, the the voice a little bit. Yeah, he's got a unique voice. He's, you know, one of those voices, it's, you're hard-pressed to say that it's good exactly. You know, he's not like sure. a, you know, he's not a trained vocalist and he doesn't have a high octave range or anything. But one thing you can even pick up just in that little bit, I can't stress enough that this guy is primarily a self-taught guitar player, right? Um, he eventually would teach a bunch of other people how to play sort of in his style. Um, but I'll give you a little breakdown of what he's doing that's somewhat unique from what other music theorists have said. I'm not a music theorist. Yeah. Before you do, can you give me some context for that recording? Do we know when that recording was yeah. made? And the, and yeah. yeah, so that particular recording was actually made in 1992 or thereabouts. That was when it was released. Uh. So, you know, he's he's 60 or some years old. Um and uh, we'll talk about the story of how he kind of came to, to be known in the music industry. But essentially, somebody found him and uh-huh. got, got, got him to record an album after he'd made some attempts to record stuff in the 60s and basically nothing happened. Hmm. So he'd okay. given up on all that for, for quite a while. So, yeah, so you were talking, the guy's he's 60 years old. He's probably been playing that song for 40 years at that point. You know, Sure. 
We, I, um, playing professionally, we play out and around town, and yeah, I suppose we'll get so to it. We'll okay. get to this. You, so you, were, you played, were saying something. Yeah, he played, Junior played where he wanted to play, which was basically his house. So ah, we're going ah, okay, to get, right. cool. get to that. But let's talk just a little bit about what he's doing musically. And again, I'm not a music theorist, so I'm literally just pulling this from other places, but it kind of makes sense to me. I think a guitar typically has six strings. Yeah, and I believe yeah. he uses all six strings. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> one thing that he's doing... Um, he's mixing these mid-tempo rhythms. And so it's very danceable, like mm -hmm. not danceable in an EDM sense, but like it's groovable, right? Mm -hmm. It's got this repeated, you know, four, four thing going on. And he's constantly feathering and playing with a, a drone that he actually is playing with his thumb on the bass string. So this is all plucking hill country blues is all plucking. They don't use picks. Um, and through this process, playing this mid-tempo rhythm and then playing with this drone, he's getting syncopation and developing actually something that's called polyrhythms for all you music nerds out there. This is really more of a known to be a jazz thing. I'm a huge Tool fan. And okay, Tool is well, all they do about polyrhythms poly sure. and everything, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So he's, he's doing this. It's, you know, it's, it's a jazz thing. It's a Tool thing. Other metal bands have, have kind of have grown into it to some extent, but it's also something you see in African and Indian music as well. Um, so you've got a guy who's basically doing this from messing around in his living room, right? Guy who never learned how to read or write, you know, um, was barely in touch with the music that was going on in the world. And you mean, you mean read and write, read and write sheet music, or do you mean read or, and write or read and write, read and write <laughs> oh, <Period>. understood? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one thing, and, and I'm not even, I don't even have a sharp enough ear to catch this, but apparently a lot of his music, it's not even three chords. It's one chord. And he's just teasing it and playing with it and, and stretching it out and shrinking it enough that he's able to develop this syncopation and this polyrhythm. Right. So something very strange going mm, on there, mm -hmm. right? The architecture yeah. of a song is kind of difficult to tease out when you're when this is happening. Um, so okay, so years and years he's playing down in Holly Springs. <clears throat> early late fifties, early sixties, he's try he tries to put some recordings together. He goes up to Memphis. He has a band called the Soul Blues um, the Soul Blues Boys. They have a couple of records that nobody buys, nobody pays attention to. His first record actually comes out. It's under the name Junior Kimball. And apparently that was just the music publisher. Maybe didn't understand what he was saying to him. Hey, <laughs> right. so, I'm Junior Kimbro. Yeah. yeah right, <laughs> exactly. like, well, okay, whatever. Fine. And <laughs> all right. Junior probably couldn't read it on there anyway. So it was like it all worked out just fine. I love that. I, that kind of, uh, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so um, you know, so the music industry doesn't really work out for him. And, and sure. there's some sense that he maybe doesn't even really care. Starting in the late sixties, he opens a juke joint and the juke joint would go through multiple iterations. And for years and years and years, this was the only place that junior ever played. Um, and there are multiple, like I said, there was multiple iterations of them. One was in a church. One was in basically in a, an old house. One was in his house and he would play there every friday saturday and particularly sunday was the jam sunday was when you know people from all over the hills would come and they would listen to junior kimbrough play for hours basically and that drony kind of sexy like j dancing you know thing um and and you know for a long time you know there probably wasn't anybody that came there that he didn't know their first name you mm -hmm. know it wasn't mm -hmm. a big it wasn't a big event and apparently he was able to make some income from this and probably by like selling beer you know it was like a bar like selling beer maybe having you know 
selling food occasionally, that sort of thing. Sure. So it seemed to be his main, his main source. Of we need to get back to this. This needs to be the way we do things. <laughs> right, right. Put on plays in your backyard. Yeah. Do, do stuff locally. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Like, forget if he's talented or not. Like, you know, music is a lot of taste, so I could see people not liking this. But there's something beautiful about, like, no, man, every week we have a party. We hang out. We play music. You know, we all get our get yep. our sweat on. We dance. Well, I, we have I ain't fun. going to Paris. Why do right. I want to go to Paris to play the blues? I can right. play the blues right, right here with my right. friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about. Um, well, okay. Let me give you this description because I want to introduce another figure that's going to become important in the Junior Kimbrough story. So, there's a guy named. There was a guy named Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer was a New York Times journalist. And he was also a university um, instructor um, at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. And there's going to be a relationship with basically academia in Oxford and Junior Kimbrough and his whole scene. Hmm. So let me give you one little thing that was a good description. So Robert Palmer would ultimately go on to produce the albums that would come out in the 90s um, by Junior Kimbrough. Palmer says, You'll hear Junior sing something that sounds like a pre-blues field holler while he's both playing a guitar rhythm like Memphis soul music. And when the bass and drums come in on one of Junior's riff, riffs, the music might sound like some kind of hillbilly metal funk that hasn't been heard yet, except around Junior's place. Right. So he's, he's you know, in, well, in, and there's this notion of these like academics and like people who are interested in music kind of rolling around and they stumble upon Junior's place and they're like, who the hell is this guy? Right. <laughs> um, so let me give you a little bit more of a picture about what Junior Kimbrough is actually like as a man. Um, there's documentaries and footage and, and all kinds of things. What you won't come across very often is Junior talking. Mm. Doesn't really do, do well with interviews. There's like one interview where I can hear, him, like you can see him interacting with another person. It's mostly just him playing, you know. Um, and, and of course, interviews with people who knew him, but he was, he was known to be very quiet, very dreamy, mm. um, kind of an ethereal presence. He found things very humorous that other people didn't seem to think were funny. So he kind of always had like a little bit of a grin on his face about who knows what. Um, he says that a lot of this music came to him in dreams. So, you know, he would wake up and he would have like a riff in his head and he would just figure out how to play it basically um so there's clearly he's got a connection he's he's a, he's a dreamer right he's this guy's living in a dirt poor place i mean it's and this is no disrespect to anybody who might may live there but it's just not a place that ever did well economically right you know, it's, right it's, it's, it's silicon rough. valley never is never gonna <laughs> yeah. probably land in no. right yeah, yeah it's just not and and you know didn't express much desire to go out and, and do much else really um, so, so we'll talk about one thing I want to talk about too. And because of this, there's not a ton of biographical information about him. He basically like emerges in the seventies, as far as anybody's concerned, that's outside of Holly Springs. And nobody knows anything about him before that. If he was born in 30, mm -hmm. he would have missed world war. He would not have been drafted into world war II. Right. He's too old for Vietnam. He may have hit Korea, but it sounds it sounds like maybe he avoided service or it just never happened. Yeah, never no no word about it, you know, what came of that. And there's not mm. really much word about how he made money before the juke joint stuff started. So I think we would know uh if he had 
been yeah. in the service. It'd yeah. be a record I, of that. Yeah, I definitely yeah. did enough digging. He didn't. He didn't. He okay. Didn't. Yeah, and right. he's. I mean, he's. Also, this community is kind of on the outside, you know, mm-hmm. through throughout his life. There's, you know, I'm sure he had a social security number, but I don't know if he had much else beyond that. <laughs> the edge <laughs> of know? the edge. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another guy he recorded with, uh, um, or was. Um, we'll get to this whole group a little bit. This guy, gentleman named T Model Ford, who's about his same age, who didn't know what year he was born. Mm. So, right. you know what I mean? Like, it's it's we're talking about it's the 1900s but it's still kind of surviving you know i get Um, it yeah yeah so i dig it so let's talk Mm. like a little bit of a detour to talk about blues music a little bit more because one thing i want to i want to locate him in the galaxy of blues music somewhat so just like any other genre of music there's like an endless number of subgenres, right and if you listen to that Junior Kimbro track we just heard, that doesn't really sound like Bo Diddley very much. Mm. And, no. Yeah, and it That's doesn't good. really sound like, um, I mean, and no disrespect to Bo Diddley, it doesn't sound like B.B. King either. You know, it's, it's different. Um, so you can first sort of branch the differences in blues music into acoustic and electric styles, right? So um acoustic styles you've got like delta blues which is is your muddy waters john lee hooker before he picked up an electric and there's country blues which is also sort of related talking about people like sun house um a lot of these guys did end up going up to chicago and basically becoming chicago blues artists um but so you've got your acoustic there's also in within acoustic there's something called piedmont blues which is from like north carolina georgia virginia um, artists like Blind Willie McTell, Peg Leg Howley, get all these great old blues names. Blind Boy Fuller, those kinds of guys. Texas um, blues, you got lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah lightning. There's a lot yeah. of lightnings, and there's like three pine tops in Texas. Oh, uh, <laughs> pine, pine top, top somethings. Yeah, I don't, I don't even okay. know what that means. Right. Um, uh, well, there's, so, there's okay. the pine curtain in in East Texas. That could right? be could I be related to maybe that. that. Maybe they yeah. maybe they use some resin or something on there, or it could be the way the guitar was made. Yeah, we'd have to look could into be. it. Yeah, okay. yeah, I didn't yeah. dig too too far into that. So okay, you got the Piedmont, which is actually like ragtime, has a more of a ragtime influence, um, and then Del- where Delta and country have more of an influence of this thing called fife and drum. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but fife and drum is like this slightly post-slavery picnic kind of music. Um, that was like slightly military influenced. Um, you can find some old recordings of, um, oh, what's that guy's name? Napoleon Hemphill or something like that, who was an old fife and drum musician. And fife um, and drum, and this is in the galaxy of blues music. Blues it's, music, it's fife like, and drum. It's like pre-blues music, uh-huh. I would say. All right, yeah. So, yeah. so after the Civil War. Right, right, right. Like after the Civil War, before, you know, before Robert Johnson. Okay. All right. Um, so then, okay, you got your you got your Chicago blues, which you kind of referenced. BB King, Bo Diddley, Howlin' Wolf. Um, it's kind of this is the kind of blues that made it onto TV and that sort of thing. Electric instruments, all that. Um, there's also piano styles of of blues music, boogie, uh, boogie woogie, jump blues. Um, a, a lot of the Texas guys are actually boogie woogie. Um, uh, and then, of course, you've got all kinds of rhythm and blues, right? Where you start getting different kinds of vocal styles and all of that sort of stuff. So all of this fed into rock and roll eventually. Um, hill country blues, which is what the term that's been given to what Junior Kimbrough did and like three other people, um, is its own, you can kind of consider it its own species. It's sort of like a subgenre of Delta blues, essentially. 
Um, and why do I think this is important? Because I really do think that Junior and R.L. Burnside, I think they were out there inventing a new thing and nobody really noticed, you know, <laughs> like they, I mean, it, it sounds like they had this, the perfect Petri dish for that. Mm -hmm. They must've had other musicians come in and sit yeah. in and all this, oh, but yeah, they, yeah. they had their own lab out they there. Did. They did. Exactly. Exactly. And their prop, yeah. Yeah. And, and there were other influences like R.L. Burnside's sure. cousin got married to Muddy Waters. So they weren't like completely in isolation, but they were in enough isolation that they could they could gradually master a particular style. Um, okay, so uh, maybe it's time to listen to another one. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good time yeah. to cue one up. What are we What are we going to listen to here? What's the next one? Uh, let's listen to. Uh, yeah, meet me in the city. Meet me in the city. All right, here we go. Was quite different from from the first recording. A lot yeah, yeah. brighter, more, yeah. and uh, made me think a little bit of Motown. Right, right. There are definitely some influences of that. So this was in 1966. This was an album he recorded that would not come out until the mid 90s, called First Recordings. Um, and you know, it was something that it's not clear exactly what the history of it was, whether it was like with a Memphis label and it just never came out, or or what the deal was. But this was you know one of Junior's early disappoint um disappointing for him at efforts to you know a little bit make a name for himself so yeah so you know it's we'll talk about we're going to get into how he became i don't know if i want to even want to say famous but as famous as he would get which is semi-famous <laughs> okay. twitter famous twitter famous Blues yeah. twitter famous yeah something like that right he would have like twenty-five thousand followers on twitter or something like that right. you know which is good that's a good yeah. number but uh okay so um uh, at my... art of dark pod that's awesome yeah we could be i would like to that'd be cool to be <laughs> like to be niche, niche right? twitter yeah. famous yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so so um junior kimbrough is playing around playing around his juke joint Holly Springs, Mississippi, people locally are gradually getting to know his genius. Um, there's a guy who is more famous in his lifetime than Junior was named Charlie Feathers, who would um, basically claim that Junior Kimbrough, who taught him how to play, was the beginning and end of all music, right? So there are people who Whoa. are musicians who basically were kind of kneeling at his feet to a certain extent. A, a musician's musician. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. And we're going to see. So um, 
you know, into the 70s, there's there's not that much attention. He's continuing to play. And even into the 80s, there's still not that much attention, but he's still doing his thing at the juke joint. And he's getting better and better and better and better. Mm. And now in 1992, Junior Kimbrough is 62 years old. Um, they release the album um, You Better um, You Better Run, which is Junior Kimbrough Essentials. And now this is an interesting story how this whole thing came came to be. So there was um, some music nerds from the University of Mississippi, this guy named Matthew Johnson, chief among him among them, who decided that they were going to go out into the country and find blues musicians. Right? They were just going to get in their truck and they were going to drive around. They were going to go to bars and juke joints and whatever. And they were going to find the Brothers Grimm of blues music. Yeah, right. we're going to find this thing that could be lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was part. I mean, and, and that's this is the thing. And these guys got a little bit of flack later on for being like maybe being exploitive, but like they were true believers. Like they wanted to go find these guys, and they wanted these guys to be able to make some money, and they wanted to keep the tradition alive, and all of this, right? And so they find you know a half dozen, ten guys, Junior Kimbro chief among them, but some other guys, R.L. Burnside, who I who I already mentioned. Um, uh, uh, AZ Payton, Sidel Owens, Robert Belfour, who became quite famous in the 90s for a while. And this whole crew of guys who'd been out there, out there playing, and a lot of them had been playing at Junior Kimbrough's Juke Joint from time mm. to time. All right. So <clears throat> this album, uh, so they find Kimbrough, Robert Palmer, who's also associated with Fat Possum Records, but is also, you know, university instructor and a New York Times journalist. He kind of takes Junior on to produce these albums and a series of albums come out in the 90s. Um, And as they come out, like the first album gets a Rolling Stone four out of five stars, right? So it's like, okay, this is something, right? (laughs) We're going to be able to, you know, get this guy out there and all that. And then um, big name musicians start, you know, diverting their tour bus down to Holly Springs, Mississippi, because they want to see what's going on out here, right? You know, because even if you were extremely famous and successful musician, you got into it because you love it. And if there's something out there that's like the real thing, you know, well, this is the, the classic thing about the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. They're huge fans. Yeah. First. The Rolling Stones went to see Junior at his Duke Joy. There you sometime are. Sometime in the early 90s. Yeah. So what are you, you boys from London? <laughs> I, I can just hear it, right? You know, yeah. Junior, junior kind of yeah. is coming up years yeah. before it. There's a guy who can really play that guitar. Right, right. right. <laughs> just right. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and this is the thing. So they would come through this place. Now you got the Rolling Stones, which is somewhat anecdotal but it seems like they did actually come through um iggy pop came through uh bono came through like you know which that might be kind of irritating hey that's all right Uh, they made some good records you two made some good records yeah they did yeah so so starting to get a little bit of notoriety starting to get a little bit more money and then of course strangers are starting to show up at this place because not only is say iggy pop showing up but like every random music hipster for a 500 mile radius is showing up at the juke joint which hey fine you know if they're buying a couple bud lights good deal um so um now iggy pop ends up taking junior kimbro on tour in 1992 right wait is, wait wait wait! i didn't i didn't see that coming okay yeah, i like right? that that that's cool okay <laughs> so cool? now we're yeah. two degrees uh did, 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 did bowie ever come through 
I don't know. I didn't hear you say anything yeah. about Bowie. Very okay. well might have. It seemed like yeah. something he'd be into for sure. Mm. Um, so Iggy Pop um, contacts uh, Matt Johnson from Fat Possum Records. And Matt Johnson from Fat Possum Records does that classic, like, this is a joke. <laughs> Iggy Pop's not calling me. Like, what? What? Are right, you, what? Right. And eventually they figure out, no, he's for real. So, okay, we're going to get Kimbro out there. You know, we're going to get his band together. We're going to go on tour. And again, this is the first any of any documentation that Junior Kimbrough has left the, Missis, the, the Memphis, Mississippi area is to go on tour with Iggy Pop. He had no idea who Iggy Pop was. He called Iggy Pop Lollipop. And this was like, <laughs> just like, Lollipop, you crazy. <laughs> I have to, I gotta, I gotta say that there's something about the whole aesthetic of the blues yeah. that is so effortlessly cool. Yes. And yeah. it's, you know, you say things like Fat Possum Records and yeah. the recording is called First Recordings right. and You Better Run. Yeah. It's all just there and you could there's not no, fake there's it. There's no pretension to it. No yeah. pretense yeah. at all. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's interesting because this all comes at a time. Again, 1992, Junior Kimbrough is 62 years old, man. He's apparently, and this is according to Iggy Pop, um, Iggy he junior kimbrough asked iggy pop said hey hey lollipop how long you been in the music business <laughs> <laughs> iggy pop said oh i've been you know it's 92 so iggy pop's like he's been around forever yeah he's <laughs> made, a, made a few albums <laughs> a few albums met a few people <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so iggy pop says oh 30 years and junior kimbrough says oh that's nothing <laughs> <laughs> but but so iggy pop iggy pop says he brought he brought junior kimbrough on because he wanted some legitimacy right like he was trying to, to reconnect with the realness mm. and and you know iggy pop had had an amazing career but like it's very easy for a guy like that because he's so unique and indelible to become a little bit of a gimmick you know <laughs> and i think coming out of the 80s i think that there was a desire to reconnect Re- right exactly. culturally and all the right, rest right, yeah right yeah. it's like you're gonna either be on a madonna remix or you're gonna get you know you're gonna get real like right. one or the other mm. and mm-hmm. um so he he takes junior kimbrough out and now this is maybe in a somewhat appropriate time to 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 bring something else up so part of um Part of Junior Kimbrough's band is he's got his son, Kenny Kimbrough, who's uh, quite a good drummer. And he's also got, I believe, playing bass. He's got R.L. Burnside. Um, his son is playing bass for him. So this is all a very tight-knit community. And I recommend anybody listen to some R.L. Burnside, especially there's a live recording from 1984 that is just maybe the best blues recording I've ever heard. But this is the art of darkness. And so far... We haven't hit anything too dark, right? I, I was waiting for it. <laughs> so other than the fact that these guys are living in like abject poverty, right? You know, and it's, it's, it's kind of rough going for the most part. And if we did an episode on R.L. Burnside, I would tell the story about how R.L. Burnside shot somebody who accused them of cheating while they were gambling, killed him. Well, R.L. Burnside said, no, I just shot him. Dying was between him and God. Right. <laughs> uh, this is this will be another episode down the line yeah. for yeah, sure so, so in our old burnside he only served like eight months because his boss was a, an important farmer in the community and burnside was the only guy that knew how to run his tractor you gotta make yourself <laughs> useful 
Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're talking about this is the kind of world. So, so one season and then the tractor breaks down and he, yeah. he leans on the judge. And, yeah, he's like, we yeah. got to get RL back out here. Man. RL can, you know? can pick, a, pick a guitar yeah. and he knows how to work that tractor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy, right? No, totally nuts. Yeah, yeah different like, world. That was probably in the 50s or 60s. Mm. And um, anyway, so Junior Kimbrough, he's got his son playing. It turns out he's got another son who's a musician. He's got a couple other sons who's a musician. And I want you to take a guess. How many kids do you think Junior Kimbrough had? Oh, wow. I'm going to guess a dozen, 12. He claims he had 36 children. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He's, he <laughs> is setting up shop, putting up a lamp at the juke joint, building a re- reputation, Lollipop yeah. comes around. Lollipop comes around. <laughs> if he can get Iggy, Iggy Pop to come in, the ladies will come in, and who knows? Who knows what? Yeah. Well, wow. And, and Iggy Pop said, "Hey, it made sense, man. You listen to this guy's music for a minute, and there's something weirdly seductive about it, right? These oh, rhythms, and you're dancing there all night, sweaty, yeah, a couple drinks, and you know he's thirty-six. Thirty-six is it's, a lot. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot of kids. Yeah, yeah. a lot and, of mouths mouth to." feed yeah. and when kimbrough was asked about it he was very clear well not not all with the same woman <laughs> <laughs> thank thank god she's a poor woman <laughs> so so mm. you know that's about the i don't even know if that's dark but that's clearly he, he made himself an entire uh, elementary school class <laughs> with an overflow room <laughs> and and I, I assume uh, spread out enough that some of them could have been teachers yeah, for the, right. for the some new the kids. Other. Yeah. Wow. Right. Wild. Right. Wild. Yeah. So, so hmm. 36 kids and, and, and obviously clearly different women and, and hmm. um, uh, never was married um, hmm. to the end. He kept, um, he lived with a girlfriend at the end who was the mother of a couple kids. I don't know exactly how many, but he always kept a bachelor hmm. pad throughout his entire life right so this was his thing man he just i, I don't know i don't know brad this is a little problematic <laughs> I, I think i, I think we need to cancel his music forever <laughs> right. but you know the sense that i got is he he never from hearing about it and there's an interview there's a great um there's a great documentary about this whole scene um that was made by fat possum records called um you see me laughing um, and it's about a handful of these guys and they interview, they try to interview junior and it doesn't really happen. Um, but they interview this girlfriend of his and she knows all about it. She's just like, Hey, he, you know, I love him. He loves me. You know, the sense yeah, I got, that, the sense I got is that when it started, junior probably had a moment where he's like, listen, <laughs> you think they ever, and of course, at no point did the word polyamory pass, no, any, pass no. anybody's lips. No, it wasn't like a, yeah, yeah. like a web 2.0 trend that they were hopping on. <laughs> they were just, right. he was going to do whatever he wanted to do. Well, so. he would have been niche Twitter famous simply because of his family. Because <laughs> just get his entire right. yeah, family. I mean, he had 36 that's, followers just as a start. That's, there we go. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do, do that up here. I'm trying to have more kids up here. Let's go. Smash yeah. that like button. Yeah. Yeah. Smash that follow button. <laughs> man, oh man. All right. Yeah. So let's listen to let's listen to another track here for this uh tramp. Tramp. Here we are. Junior Kimbrough. Yeah, I'll stay with him till I come down. Mm-hmm. 
Mama was, Papa was too. Tramp. <laughs> I love it. That that slaps, man. I think that's what the kids say. Yeah, that was pretty good, man. That's uh, that's one getting down and dirty. You know, that one's got some funk on it. For it has, sure. and it has yeah. that quality of again that Hendrix kind of style or mm-hmm. yeah, his voice and yeah, the voice and he's teasing with that feedback a little bit, like you know, mm. and you know, you got a pitcher like he's playing this in the juke joint, and if you see pitchers, the juke joint is a kind of a, it's not a proper music space you know it's a at one point it was like a church size yeah go ahead yeah yeah there's video of him playing in it and it's like he's sitting by a window like it's like he's like in a broken down living room apparently at one point he had a large like poster sized image of oprah winfrey painted as a african queen (laughs) just like funny like touches you know and so yeah he's kind of just his own guy but when you see him playing in here he is clearly controlling the room right it is his space he's moving he's moving slow because he's moving at his pace you know it's just the complete mastery of of space and time that's going on with this guy nothing to prove exactly yeah 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 yeah. just and at this point this recording was made um this was off the the essential album that was came out in the 90s he's an old man he's been doing this forever you know and it's interesting too the thing that um so sometime in the 80s he got a little bit this is according to matthew johnson at fat possum he got a little fed up that he had taught all these people how to play and that he had done covers of other people's music and that it never really seemed to pay off for him and so at some point he decided he wasn't playing anybody else's music he wasn't going to really help anybody in any direct way. He wasn't going to do any covers, teach anybody anything. And he was just going to do Junior Kimbrough songs. And that's, there's something about that where he made this conscious decision. And then, you know, you get to think too, like we have these ideas about fame that are partially tied up into how plugged we into media we are. You know what I mean? Like yeah. famous to us is Beyonce and ever, you know, seven billion people know what her name is right but when you live in a small community and you're not particularly you're you're you're, you're kind of your interaction with the outside world outside of that community is much more limited you know you don't have cable tv and this is all pre-internet and so fame is something different you know <laughs> yeah doug, doug stanhope calls it karaoke famous yeah, right. you're famous around the or, or famous around that uh, that that one thousand person small town, five thousand right. people. Everybody knows your name, yeah. and if they don't, they know that everybody else does. Right, and right. it's just a matter of meeting you. Right, and and if you don't aren't in touch with that bigger world, that feels to you it, it might feel the same as being Beyonce, right? Because you know this dude's walking around Holly Springs. He goes to the grocery stores. People know who he is. You know, yeah, but it probably so, it must have a different quality too because it isn't mm-hmm. mediated. So right. they know they probably know other things about you. They know they mm-hmm. know one of your thirty children. Right, right. They probably are <laughs> one of your thirty children. <laughs> the odds are good. That's right. A small town like that, that yeah. you never leave. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, so okay. So we got. I want to tell you a little bit more about the the Iggy Pop. The Iggy Pop stuff is kind of funny, man. So he takes him on tour, and there's a little bit of a write up in the Chicago Tribune that includes like two sentences about about Junior Kimbrough. And during Junior Kimbrough's life, this was 
Um, other than getting invited to a blues festival in New York, this Iggy Pop tour was the most that he had been sort of out in the world, um, though though his recordings would would kind of leak out to a certain extent. Um, so Junior Kimbrough's got, he brings his son, he brings, you know, all these other just boys that he probably, he probably taught them all how to play their instruments to a certain extent. He'd been playing the songs for so long, it was just like, no, you just play this, listen to this. That's what you play. You know? Probably just hanging around and jamming too. You just oh, either yeah. figure it out or you don't. If you have a knack for it, you're going to pick it up. If yeah, you don't, yeah. And, yeah. And Kenny Kimbrough, his son, by all accounts, is a, is a extremely competent drummer, right? He's a good drummer. If he was yeah. on these cuts, I mean. Yeah, it's uh, good stuff. Yeah, good. Solid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking, we're not, uh, it's not Keith Moon style, but like, that's not what the point, it's not the point of it, right? right. Can so, you keep a tempo and play with feel? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> there's like a joke about, there's, there's some jokes about, you know, the boys went out on tour, right? And they're going to Chicago and they're on stage and they're, you know, there are women around all of a sudden and all of this kind of stuff. And literally after like the second or third show, the Ken- Kenny Kimbrough and the other boys just didn't show up for the show <laughs> they're like out partying who knows what they're right? doing yeah you know, and they're like 20 years old or 25 years old and they had to get iggy pops like soundboard guy or light tech or something to play the drums and like it's just became a whole that is a scene a mess, right yeah right you know because they're like anything you know, they want to party their kids they're boys and like this is the peak of their life you i know? could hear uh, i could hear junior go hey lo- a lollipop why you yeah. take your shirt off <laughs> Why are you taking your shirt well, off? Could you imagine Iggy Pop? He's doing like all of his like serpentine like like stuff, and Junior's just gotta be like, "What in the hell? What is, is this? this white boy doing? What, what is this?" Yeah, yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so you know, these albums come out. There's a series of these albums that come out in the '90s, all by Fat Possum Records, and they sell a little bit, and nothing too crazy. There's gets to be some notoriety. You know, Iggy Pop gets involved, and Bono comes by, and other, all these other musicians come by. But basically, throughout the 90s, he keeps just doing the juke joint thing. This just kind of keeps keeps going on. Um, there's this great article um, written by a guy named Bob Pomeroy, um, who was kind of plugged himself into that scene a little bit late in the 90s. He was, uh, I believe he was from Memphis. He might have been from Pittsburgh originally. He kind of drives down there and he goes, goes to try and see this thing. And he feels like he sort of missed it. Um, 1994 1995 he goes to the juke joint this bob pomeroy character goes to the juke joint on new year's eve for a party junior kimbrough is playing rl burnside plays for a minute and then he's got to leave and then at some point and this is i think there's something spiritually about like the end of the blues or the end of this lineage at this precise moment 1994 1995 huh junior kimbrough is playing some white kid that nobody knows who he is shows up with a guitar and because of the loose nature of the juke joint man just dancing and hanging out playing you know um oh one rule about the juke joint apparently i thought this was hilarious you when you danced you were not supposed to cross your feet this was considered bad juju to cross your feet don't cross your feet when you're dancing apparently gotta, and it must keep, have, huh and it must have been some old like you know some old folk wisdom about don't cross your own feet yeah like you're not you're not stepping across yeah you don't sidestep over your feet okay all right maybe because of the the amount of uh, space and people might have been getting a little hammered that could could be yeah to stumble and fall that That very interesting yeah yeah Yeah, it's like weird i don't know how that came to be but anyway so is that unique to the to juniors uh i I had never heard that before it could be 
if yeah. anybody knows anything about this, uh, reach yeah. out to us on Twitter at Art of Dark Pod. Yeah, yeah. Don't cross your feet when you dance. Yeah. So there anyway, you go. so this 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 you know this white kid plugs in. So this white kid, Jimmy Kimber is playing for a while, 1994, 1995. This New Year's Eve party. Um. This kid asks if he can plug in his guitar and Junior says, okay, because again, it's like this loose nature of this place. And, and uh, kid starts just doing these flashy, crazy riffs and Junior just gets up and walks away. And there's something about that because it's something about that being sort of the end a little bit, at least symbolically, because three years later, Junior Kimbrough's dead. He's mm. sitting, he dies of a heart attack, sitting watching TV with his girlfriend, you know? Yep. And... um couple of years after that the juke joint burns down apparently it's an act of arson you know he left you know you got 36 kids they don't it's complicated when you leave you know I, I would say so yeah this yeah. is King Lear uh times three times I can't do the math right right yeah, exactly <laughs> whoa <laughs> yeah yeah so apparently it was arson I don't know if it was somebody trying to get insurance or what it's not really clear what happened right um but you know the juke joint burns down and that's it and uh, Kenny Kimbrough had been trying to keep it alive for a couple of years. And there's this great interview with Kenny. This is after Junior died, where he goes out to the site of the juke joint. And he claims, of course, that he can still, when he gets out of the car, he can still hear the music out at this place. And it's just this hole in the, in the field, you know, where this kid's whole life had been. And this man, this man's whole life had been in this place, you know, and that's kind of gone. And this stuff is so ephemeral. Mm. And, you know, much credit to we'll talk about Fat Possum a little more. Much credit to those guys for even getting this stuff out there. Nobody would have ever even heard of this, and this great tradition would be, you know, maybe now it's you could say it's dead, but it would have been dead and forgotten if those guys hadn't, hadn't you know, hopped in their pickup truck and gone driving around the hill country trying to find these guys. Um, one a couple notes about just Junior's legacy. You know, obviously he was influential on some of these great musicians that came down to see him. Um, the way that I actually came across um, Junior Kimbrough is the Black Keys, who I think everybody knows, recorded an album called Chulahoma, which is technically the name of where the, the town where the juke joint was. It was just outside of Holly Springs. Um, and it's, a, it's an album of covers of Junior Kimbrough music, and they're fantastic. And the Black Keys basically said Junior Kimbrough is, you know, they said what Charlie Feather said. He's the beginning and end of all music, right? So I kind of came across it that way and, you know, was enamored of that album by them and then, you know, eventually found the real deal. There was also Fat Possum put out a, um, an album of uh, a tribute album that uh, uh, was called uh, Sunday Nights because they had Sunday nights for decades, every single one where they, they had these jam outs. And this is people, Iggy Pop did a cover, Spiritualized did a cover, John Spencer Blues Explosion, Cat Power, all these, all these people did covers of... of uh, junior Kimbrough music none of them as good as junior's music in my opinion but you know all done in the right spirit so you know the legacy lives on there's one note about legacy that i found to be the most interesting thing um so there's this band called afrosippi and afrosippi um is based on uh let me get this guy's name right um i just had it here so Afrosippi is made up of a couple people. One guy named Eric Deaton, who's from Mississippi. Another guy named, oh, I'm going to butcher this name, Gulel Kumba, who is a Fulani griot from northern Senegal, right? And what Eric Deaton wanted to, do, wanted to do is he wanted to find the lineage of Mississippi music 
to Africa. He wanted to figure out what that was. And he wanted to make some albums in celebration of this. And you can listen to the Afrosippy album. It's pretty good. Um, but the cool, the interesting thing about it to me was Eric Deaton, is, he, he meets up with this um, Fulani Griot, this Kumba guy somehow or another. And uh, Kumba plays him a traditional Fulani song. And Deaton says, that sounds exactly like um, the Junior Kimbrough song, you, I Gotta Get You Girl. It's like, this is the same song. Like, what do you, what, what is this? And so Eric Deaton's like, what, what is this song? And Kumba says, oh, this song is thousands of years old. This is like traditional Fulani music. So somehow this traditional music, thousands of years old, like lives on, right? Comes over on the slave ships or in the ether or something somehow pops out in like the mid fifties out of this guy's guitar who taught himself by watching, you know, other self-taught people play guitar and they sound almost exactly the same. It's just mystified. That whole process that's, is mystified. That's incredible. And do, do we have that song? Yeah, we do. I think the email I sent you, that last yeah. one, Afrosippi, uh, I'm not even going to give you an attempt to pronounce that, but that is right. apparently a Junior Kimbrough Fulani song. Okay. All right. Well, look, I don't think we're going to top that as an outro. No. Uh, so let's play that. Then we'll come back. Okay. And, we'll, and I, I want to talk about what Junior would be doing now, do you yeah, think? Sure. And then we'll do some end of show business. Sounds uh, good, man. Let me, uh, let me play this song here. Money. dug up some real dirt here i like it nice work brad well thanks man yeah, yeah. well the episode i wanted to do like when we first thought of this i was like oh i gotta do talk about junior kimbrough and, all right uh, wanted, didn't want to do it first you know but mm. yeah. get into it yeah. well so if junior was around today what would he be doing god what do you I think? think he's still in the juke joint. he's got probably 48 kids right something like that that that's see, not done a dude like that what are you, are you gonna stop no <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah i mean i would like to think i'd like to think he's still down there in that juke joint and then as soon as it got to be too much he just moved down the road and started another one 
you know, just, yeah, this sounds like somebody who would have to have some sort of special relationship with the way things are now. I don't know. Maybe there's yeah. something like this still happening somewhere, but it, it almost seems impossible to imagine. You know, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but it reminds me, his lifestyle reminds me a little bit of um, Fela Kuti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's living in his compound. He's got his lifestyle. He has his people. It's not a one-to-one, but that's yeah. what that's what pops into my mind. You know, yeah. I have a club. This is the club I play at. Yeah. It's my joint. And yeah. if you want to hear hear me play or or whatnot, you gotta, you're coming. You gotta come here. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to that. And there's something that I admire about that. Well, I'm always interested in I've always been interested in outsider artists, particularly outsider artists who are just as good. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of or better or better than like what you know than the thing that they're outside yeah the talent does yeah. not equal exposure or it, reach there's this midwit reich right <laughs> where there's a certain especially now where if you're yeah. too good at, uh, too fast it can mm-hmm. be a little threatening it's too much mm-hmm. for people yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so there's a, i i find something really interesting about this the idea of this guy just out there just cultivating his craft over years and years and years and doesn't really give a shit and comfortable and it sounds like he was pretty happy do we know any more it sounds like there were no scandals we're not we're not talking about burroughs he didn't shoot his wife no no Uh, there's no he's never got arrested for anything no wasn't an alcoholic wasn't any of that there's been a little bit of legal dispute um about his estate um (laughs) as one can imagine again (laughs) king lear x 30 something yeah yeah Yeah. so the 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 um the the fat possum guys matthew johnson ended up being the executor of his estate and um a lot of the family members were claiming that he was exploiting junior kimbrough uh, but it's like of course man nobody would have known who like okay so you got all these album money coming in like none of that would have ever happened so it's kind of hard to it's say. a little tricky yeah, yeah i guess i don't want to get too into the yeah, weeds and i don't about know that, maybe but, he was but, but it well and hopefully me that way hopefully the black keys are sending money back hopefully it's right. all coming back one way or another here yeah i would uh, like to think so yeah very yeah. cool brad i yeah. i really i really dig it and uh i think it was fun how we went through the whole the whole journey and we learned a few things about the guy i love the lollipop stuff yeah, isn't that awesome um, <laughs> <laughs> i would really recommend if you can find it and it literally got taken off of youtube yesterday the documentary um you see me laughing yeah. um it's about this whole scene and it's, it's great. And it has some of the, some of the Iggy pop anecdotes, which are good. All right. Well, so we're, we're coming to an end of another episode of art of darkness. You can find us at artofdarkpod.com. We are going to start doing extra episodes for Patreon uh, mm. subscribers here. If you want to support the show, if you like what we're doing, uh, chuck us a buck, you won't miss it. Uh, we need it more than Netflix does. Uh, <laughs> Keep your Netflix subscription. Just yeah. add a little support for guys yeah, doing original not? content that's uh, independent. And uh, that is going to be at pa- uh, patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. And we're going to be including uh, additional content there, uh, in- including these uh, episodes. What are, what are we calling them? We're going to be calling them Art After, after Dark. dark. Yeah. yeah. Art so we're just dark after dark. Art of darkness uh, after yeah. dark. And Brad and I are just going to hang out and talk about kind of Brad's research for the show. We'll go a little deeper into it. Um, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Brad, any, any final words on uh, Junior Kimbrough? No, but uh, just go out. If you're listening to music anyway, it's all on Spotify. It's all on YouTube. You know, buy something if you're really into it. But I, I recommend 
it's that kind of music where you kind of got to let it just wash over you a little bit. So yeah, mm. I hope people dig it. And if you know one more person who's never heard of him listens to him and likes it, I will have done my work. That so. is what it's about. I'll put the YouTube links in the show notes yeah. and uh, we'll see you uh, on Art of Darkness After Dark. Ooh. All right. <laughs> nice. That was good. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. an ISO right there. That little, that little sound you made. Oh, is that right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the junior, junior Kimbrough getting down to business sound is what that is. <laughs> All right. All right. Later. Later, man.